today it's a special guest for our first full-length interview of season two of the TX Water Polo Podcast. His name may ring a bell for those all, at all familiar with American water polo. It's Adam Wright, head coach of the UCLA Bruins and an Olympic silver medalist himself. He was in Dallas a week ago to lead an Azevedo water polo camp hosted by Pegasus and Thunder. He and I got to speak from my car while we drove to his hotel. Thus, you get to hear sounds of lane changes, tire rumbling, and uh, the microphone was too far away. But we covered a lot of territory just as the fall NCAA season was suspended. So here you go, Adam Wright. Well, this is interesting. I'm in a car with Adam Wright, who is uh, pretty well known in the water polo community, but currently serves as the head coach at UCLA, three-time NCAA champion. I'm driving us back to his hotel, so I've never done a car interview before, but here we are. This is a so. But anyway, thanks for hopping in the car with me. No, I mean, look, it's, uh, for me, it's really exciting to be here in Texas. Um, you know, unfortunately, Tony and I couldn't come out in May. We were able to do that last year. Right. Um, you know, uh, I really believe, I stated that last year, that this really, um, I believe, is a diamond in the rough. It's an untapped region that's on its way up. High school polo starting here next year as an official high school sport. The venues that are here. Um, and then also the, the commitment from the clubs that are here, the coaches for the kids. So it's really nice to be out here. We're, we're thankful that we were finally able to get out here thankful in some way because at least my understanding is, you know, there's really not much that is able to be done in California at this point as far as these camps. So that's one reason you're here, I suspect. Tell us a little bit about just your overall experience. You've been here for 48 hours or so, but you've had a chance to see the kids and see the, the local landscape. And how, 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 what have your impressions been? You know, to be honest, I yesterday I said to Merrill after the first day, it's like standing in front of the kids felt so weird. Because at home, you know, the last time I was in front of my team, we were all in tears. And I think that we call it May or March 10th or so um, when, when we found out our season was over. And for the better part of five months, I haven't been around a pool. I haven't been around any sort of water polo. And to stand in front of the kids yesterday and talk about water polo and, um, you know, uh, to, be, to be in the pool, it felt really awkward, you know, and also I felt uh, immediately, I remembered how hard our game truly is. I tried to do some demonstrations, and when you're out of shape, this is a brutal game. Yeah, you hopped in with them, so that's actually an extra special treat. There's four Olympians here, or at least two of them are, are uh, in line to become senior, men, senior men's national team members at the next Olympics. Um, and all four of you guys are hopping in the pool. I noticed that when, uh, when and you know, kids are all starry-eyed about this stuff. It's got all these Olympians in the pool. So, yeah, I can imagine. And, and then uh, just so that everybody knows, they all did a little workout after it was done, just to just to spice it up a little bit. So, um, but do tell a little bit about that. You, you mentioned it. Everybody was teary-eyed in the spring. Just what a jarring thing it was to have your camp, your your season just taken out from under you. Yeah, I mean. You know, fortunately, you know, I don't think the world, you know, for the most part, has ever gone through something like this. We're really, the carpet's literally pulled from underneath your feet. And I don't think any of us ever understood the magnitude of how fast things can quickly change. And, um, you know, all I remember is, is we just had returned home from a, a, a trip. We played at Cal for our conference game and then at UOP. You know, our team was headed in such a great direction, culture-wise. Um, the commitment from the women, how they were developing our depth, 
Um, and I remember we had Monday off. By Tuesday, there was talk of uh, no fans in the stands. By Wednesday, Irvine was pretty much saying, we don't know if we're going to play. We are supposed to play Irvine on a Friday night. By Thursday, Indiana, who was coming to play us on Saturday, wasn't coming anymore. And by Thursday night, it was done. It's all over. And Friday, we met as a team. You know, for me, the hardest thing is, is to, to, to really look at a group that's done everything that you've asked. They've committed to each other. No one has put themselves ahead of uh, anybody else in the program. They've literally come come along so much further than I thought. I thought maybe this was a four- to five-year uh, rebuild. Um, it was heartbreaking, yeah. you know, and, and it was really emotional. For me, um, there, there was nothing. I was powerless. There's nothing I could do to help this group of women that have done everything uh, to put this program in a better place. So it was real. It was raw. Um, I got emotional before they could even get emotional, and you know, obviously that just started the the, the chain of years. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't um, help. Yeah. And, and you know, the the hard part is, is you know, we always talk about you you, you want to leave a legacy, right? You want to leave something, no matter what you do, in a better place than when you started. And that's what these women were headed towards. And it's not about just winning an NCAA championship. It's about creating a culture. It's about putting a program in a chance, uh, a position every time to have success when they go out and play, and that's exactly what they were doing. And you know, the, the hard part is, is the the one the one thing I said to them, we could always look in the mirror because we absolutely, as a program as a whole, did everything we could that was in our power to get better. Yeah. Um, but the hard part is, is we didn't get to see who we could ultimately become, and that's the tough part. Well, that's the tough part, but I suspect, and I talked to Natalie Benson about the same thing, and she said that they were very emotional about this as well, is you have some athletes are basically they're not going to come back now. I mean, they don't, they, this was their, supposedly their last season, and uh, and they're not coming back. I'm, is that something that your team experienced as well? Yeah, we had two seniors, and you know, that's a tough choice. You know, the hard part is, um, you know, women's water polo is basically a spring sport, winter and spring sport, but, you know, that's a commitment of coming back to a whole year of school, yeah. right? And there's financial implications. There's academic implications. They've got jobs. Um, jobs. Yeah. There's future implications, you know. And not everybody's doing this to be a national team player. And quite frankly, that's all right. Yeah. They, you know, um, and that's that's a hard thing. And, you know, I think at the time, honestly, when this decision was being made, I don't think any of them would thought, think that we would be where we are still with this, yeah. right? Because the, the reality is, is, is we're still in a pretty tough position. And what is going to happen? And is there going to be a winter in spring? And man, that would be really that that would be beyond heartbreaking, you know. And we had two girls. Emma Skelly decided that she was done. She had finished her courses, and 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 you know really um, was ready to go into the working world. And you know we have Brooke Maxim, who decided, you know what, she 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 wasn't done, so she decided to come back. Wow. And, um, both decisions, um, I, I understand, and we understand as, as a group. And my hope is that's the only group that ever has to make that decision. Unfortunately, now with the fall being off, you know, this thing is dragging into where they're, you know, the fall sports. It's a little bit different situation because maybe they could come back for a quarter. But you're going to see so much movement. You have kids that are fifth-year seniors. Are they going to come? That means them staying a whole another year and coming back for five years, or excuse me, six years and a quarter. And, you know, we talk about you have four years. You have five years to have your best four years, right? right? You only get four chances. Yeah. And that's always been something we've talked about. And, unfortunately, that's not holding true right now. And that's tough. 
that leads into the men's season, um, because, and, and, you know, the, the women's season was uh, announced just like a lifetime ago. Um, yesterday, the Pac-12 announced that the season was going to be canceled for all their sports. The MPSF, is, as when I checked this morning, still had no statement about it. Is What can you share with us about that, if anything? Look, I, I know, uh, you know, we have meetings today. Um, usually, we're, we're in line with the Pac-12, obviously. Uh, Stanford, USC, Cal, UCLA, right. right? We all fall under the Pac-12 umbrella. Um, the reality is, is, you know, everything, all the decisions were made for what was best for our student-athlete welfare, right? From a medical standpoint, they just didn't have enough evidence and enough, I guess, um, data to show um, that it was the right thing to actually hold competition. Right. And, you know... I'm not going to go out and say that it's 100%, but i got to believe we're going to be following the same trend. Um, and, and the reality is, is if, if that's what the medical experts said for the Pac-12, then the DMPSF will follow them. Right. Uh, Joe and I talked earlier this morning, Joe Linehan, who's my partner in this terrible podcast, and uh, talking about how I'm, I'm pessimistic. I, I think that this alters a lot of what's going to happen for the rest of the season. It's not just collegiately, but uh, it's going to trickle down, including things like Junior Olympics. But I'm hoping for sure, I'm hoping I'm wrong, because I would like to take my team back to, to California. Um, switching gears a little bit, because the GCC announced some time ago that the, the season was was complete, um, but I have a, well, actually, let me back up. We talked about the MPSF, and Austin College, Penn State, Barron are recent additions to the MPSF. There's been a lot of discussion about whether or not that's good or bad or whatever, and I'm wondering if you have an opinion that you want to share one way or the other about the addition of those two programs, in particular Austin College, right, because it's the only NCAA program in the state of Texas. Yeah, look, I, I think... You know, there's there's two ways to look at it, right? You can think from the outside looking in, why would those schools who are just starting or, you know, not at the highest level per se yeah. as the, the Pac-12 schools want to join that conference? That just sounds crazy. Um, but the way I believe they look at it is when their kids have an opportunity to come out and play in the NPSF championships, it's something that those kids will always remember. And, you know, the MPSF Championship Tournament, you know, uh, most years is maybe the hardest tournament, even more so than the NC2A Tournament, right. right? And for those kids to get exposure to that, for those kids to be a part of that, is something both the programs and universities have, have said numerous times it is, is incredible. You know, my hope is over a period of time that, you know, top-level players, you know, if we're going to you know, speak frankly, they're probably not looking at a program like Penn State Barron or Austin College, right? right? Exactly. But the next years, if the time, if, if these things go right and they really keep establishing themselves within this program, you're going to want, you're going to start, I believe, seeing some kids who want to have the opportunity to compete within the MPSF, even though they're not at a Pac-12 school. Right. So do those guys start picking off some of those recruits that are in the middle tier, um, because those kids simply want exposure uh, uh, to the Pac-12 school. Right. So that that is the hope, you know, for us, you know, straightforward. From a selfish standpoint, what they have made the decision to, to do by joining the MPSF has been critical for, for us to okay. have a conference and to have an AQ. There's no secret about that. Yep. It was a really tough thing when the, when those teams broke off from the MPSF. It left us, left us, left us excuse me, in a really tough position. Um, obviously, 
we didn't love that decision. We understood it. They had their own reasons for doing it, and we get it. Um, but, but really, per se, the sacrifice that those two programs, Austin College and Penn State Barron, are making is critical for our sport, too. Because what we don't want to see is have the Pac-12 schools not have access to the, to the NCAA right. right? That's important, too. So we're really thankful for them. You know, we try to help them. I've had players from Penn State Barron who train with us in the summer. That's okay. so Cal is. Got it. We want to open those doors and provide those opportunities, just like I told Mark Lawrence at Austin College. If you have kids that live in the L.A. area and they want to train with us in the summer, they're more than welcome. Uh, did not know that. Uh, that answers at least a little bit of what a question I had, which is, you know, your responsibilities as head coach are obviously uh, all-encompassing. Do you even have a chance to step back during the MPS tournament and just consider – what is going on on the Austin College Penn State Barron teams as they're competing against these teams that are, you know, traditionally the top four teams in the country? Yeah, you know, look, the, at those tournaments, it's such a quick turnaround that there's, there's not a, a lot of time, right? But I I have taken uh, moments over the last couple of years just to watch, for me, the re- body reactions um, and facial expressions say so much. Those kids could not be most good, even when they, you know, they're not even, I guess, close on a sport. Right. But the facial expressions, the joy in their faces, it's awesome. They love watching the other games. It's great for them to watch the other games. Um, their, their objective when they're coming to that tournament is obviously different than the Pac-12, yeah. right? It's a dogfight for the other, other team. Their objective is to go there perform their best at the end of the year, get an opportunity to play a couple teams from the Pac-12, and then a lot of times they get to play twice against Austin. Those those games between Penn State Barron and Austin College have been awesome. They're intense, yeah. Awesome. And and they the joy that those kids are getting, that's what's most important. They're, they're not going there with NC2As on their mind, right. right? They're going there to have an opportunity at a high-level tournament to get some good games, some games where they know the outcome already before they go in, Yes. but they're going to go and give their best, and then to see how the rivalry has started between those two programs within the conference tournament, Austin College and Penn State Barron, is awesome, but it's real battles, and it's only going to get better and better each year. We've reached the halfway point of today's podcast, and we'll return after this. In many podcasts, this time would be filled with ads for electric toothbrushes or recruiting services. Not here. Instead, We're asking you to show your support for TX Water Polo by donating to it. Go to txwaterpolo.com slash donate and help us continue covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hey, this is Jesse Smith, recent Pan Am gold medalist. I was just checking out Texas Water Polo from the TX Water Polo podcast. Also, you can check out their website. You can follow me at GoSmithNow. Thanks, guys. Now, part two of today's show. All right, let's uh, shift. You you were a finalist for the national team job, the senior men's national team job in 2015. You know, we, I reported on that in Total Water Bowl at the time. Um, I'm not going to put you on the spot about your future considerations. I think I, I did that with Natalie Benson, by the way, because I think she might be in line for Adam's job when, whenever he decides that his, his illustrious career is over. I wanted to delve in, hopefully quickly, and this is a big question, though. You have been involved in the sport for a long time. You are well aware of the debate that I kind of call the Dante versus Dayon, which is the should we be focusing more on an American style or should we be adopting the style of Europeans? 
or is that even the proper question to be asking? Or is it is it not quite so simple? It's it's not that simple, you know. And I have you know respect for both. I've known Dante for a long time. I mean, like as his uh, success speaks for itself. You know, the game is constantly evolving. You know, you have one coach, Dante, who clearly wants to see more movement, less physical contact, and and I get that. Uh, but you know, I think one of the things that we lose focus on as a sport is some of the most important elements of our game are dictated by rules, yeah. right? And more importantly, by referees. Some of the most important coaches in this world are referees. As the higher the levels you go, you, learn, you better learn how they're calling a game and how, how the flow of the game is going. So I, I, I do. that's a tough question to ask because you have – Dante, who has every right to be set in his beliefs of he wants to see a movement game, I don't think it's, you know, it's there yet on the international level, to be quite frank. I don't think we'll ever win in a static game against um, the Serbians or the because vertically um, they're better than us. Yeah. They're stronger. That doesn't mean that we don't have some kids, but from top to bottom, you know, you're just seeing a more physical person. Uh, an opponent across the way, and they've always done a nice job in the vertical game. So I do think absolutely a mix and a blend of the two is really, really important. Um, I, I, I believe we somehow have to find a way to get them out of the vertical game, and that does take movement. We can't play static all the time. Um, you know, if, if we want to get into a war per se of lining up on the five meter or now the six meter line. Right? Yeah. It's five. Well, now it just changed Rinsey to a case two, yeah. but we haven't played that yet. Yeah. But if we want to get into a war of, you know, setting up shop on the six meter line per se, I'm not sure we're going to win that game too much, right? Um, so I, I, I think it's a blend, uh, a, a blend of two. Um, it's curious because this is a debate that's been going on for for quite some time. Um, I'm curious about, because you, you have experience both in the States, obviously, and you've played overseas as well, and I, I'm wondering whether just that fact alone has changed the dynamic of the game in the United States, because more and more players, not only are more more American players going overseas and experiencing what it's like to play professionally in Europe, but uh, you know it better than anybody, there's more and more coaches coming to the United States yeah. who have all of these different kinds of skills, um, and I, I'm just curious what you you where do you reside in that sort of span? Because you must be taking the best of both worlds. You have your Long Beach Wilson. I have to throw the plug in for Wilson again. Experience as a Southern California guy, but you went overseas as well. And so I'm assuming your coaching style is a combination of all those things. Yeah, you know, for for me, I think first and foremost, it's, it's so important. Um, I believe whether you have national team ambitions or not, it's a great experience for our kids to go over there, even if it's for a year, right? Different culture, meet new people who you'd never meet, um, and, and it's, you can always come back and work. For our national team athletes, you know, we just can't replicate um, the amount of high-level games that they're doing over there. Now, the women's college uh, season or league, per se, I believe can. It's yes, at that level. Yeah, the men, we're not there. Um, the, the, the reality, too, for me is the closest – coach to ever replicate, you know, Ratko's plan in Project Gold was he knew we needed somewhere between 60 and 80 high-level games. And how were we going to find those? Whether it be on a 72-day trip in Europe, playing every day, we were, whether it was official or non-official, 
trainings, right? But then he also created the Premier League, which yeah. in the last two years of it, it was the highest level that the United States has ever had, bar none. We've never come close to that again. Why? There was accountability and responsibility. You better be in shape. If you weren't in shape, he was at everything. He was watching. If you acted inappropriately, you would not be a part of the national team. So we started to build something that was really, really special. So he was starting to provide, obviously, the amount of games and exposure we were getting in Europe with the amount of travel we did with him. But on our own soil, we were starting to develop high-level games. So, you know, for me as a coach, you know, I've been so fortunate uh, to have the coaches that I did, you know, all the way back to starting in Long Beach and the mentors. You know, I got to go to a pool deck every day and see the likes of Joe Vargas, Jody Campbell, Shai Cradell, Darren Blizzard, Kyle Kopp, you know, uh, uh, Doug Kimball, the list go on and on. Then my coaches were, my very first coach was Marino Tool Mendoza. Then I had uh, Klaus Barth, who uh, taught me so much about uh, 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 what it means to be a true teammate. Then into Ricardo, and then Ricardo at uh, Long Beach Wilson. The other funny part is, is Guy Baker, before yeah. he coached me at UCLA, was, was my 12 and under coach. Yep. So I was so lucky. I went from Ricardo at Long Beach Wilson to Guy Baker at UCLA, and then to Racco, uh, and John Vargas uh, with the national team, who's a dear friend and obviously does a good job. And then I went uh, to Racco Rudich, and uh, uh, for me, um, that group that was able to be touched and affected by Racco is a group that is so lucky. And, you know, what he taught is just how important the chemistry of a group is, how you build a group, how you create confidence in an individual and a group, how you can teach a person that they can go further than they ever thought they can go. And then from there, you know, I had the opportunity to play for the legendary Boris Popov at Dynamo Russia with Ryan Bailey. Boris Popov was a gold medal winning coach for the USSR. The Russian style of play was all counterattack, the horizontal game, and very physical. I never forget the first game, whether it was just getting punched in the face right off the sprint. Very, very physical. You know, Bailey and I were so lucky to be there. That was the years where they were pumping all the money into the Russian League, where Sopich was the first guy to sign a three-year million-euro contract. You had Rivas Chumakiza, the best center in the world, who go down with one of the best. You'll have uh, uh, Euroshop. You'll have that Russian team that won all those medals. And what we learned there is they they obviously were good shooters, but they loved everything on the counter. Similar, almost kind of to the Hungarians, but in a different way, right, where they played a more physical style of play. Um, so you, you take that aspect. I think one aspect that we've lost here, especially at the younger ages, is swimming has gone kind of by the wayside. You think so? It just it, we you know we have kids that are specializing year round in water polo mm-hmm. at such a young age. I think through the age group period, it's still important to have a blend. If you can't swim, you can't play. If you can't walk, you can't run. And I just feel like that used to be an element where. You know, we swam for portions of the year, or we've swam three days a week in polo, too. And depending on the time of the year, then, you you know, how you blend those. But it's a really important element. And, you know, the Hungarians and the Russians have demonstrated that you can win games by simply having an incredible counterattack. So, you know, and then I had the chance to play in Italy for several years, and one of my coaches was Gu Balbinetti, the old coach of Reco, and Tony and I were together. So, you know, you got to see a game there where, you know, there's some more – risky defenses going on, whether it's M zone. Um, highly technical. Yeah, highly technical. Yeah. Um, physical, 
um, emotional. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of showmanship, a yeah. lot of simulation going on. Um, so I, I was so lucky to be touched by really so many incredible people. And, and what you do along the way, it's not to say that I had only good coaches. I learned so much from coaches as well about things that I wouldn't want to do. And, you know, the bottom line is, is you try to blend all those together and give these kids something more than what you had. And the reality is, is, you know, for me, uh, some things that I think are super important is a standard, right? You, you, you either have a standard or you don't. And that's something I learned from all these coaches. And I can either cheat this kid by letting him get by and not doing the right things the right way, or we have a standard. And there's some times where the kid may not like that, yeah. right? But the bottom line is, is we want to provide these kids more than what we were provided. Um, so super lucky from uh, uh, a mental standpoint and the things that we were taught that are important uh, from a team team aspect, and then from you know a blend of all these physical and tactical standpoints. Um, but you know the, the the interesting thing with all of them is they all really at the end of the day try to simplify the wa- uh, the game of water polo. They didn't. It, it is a simple game. It and is. You can break right. it down to make it really simple. Yeah. And if you have you know look, I can't go on without saying you know look, I obviously played for Terry Schroeder, Ricardo with the national team, Robert Lynn, who's a dear friend and who did so many things. And that's what those guys did. They broke these things down, made it simple. You don't need tricks to win. Right. You need to be fundamentally sound. You need to be a strong group. And you got you, you, you got to be willing to commit for each other. And obviously a physical aspect is really important too. Let me follow and I'm going to let you go because we're actually parked in the front of the hotel. Then, in fact, uh, somebody wants to take the car. They're not, they don't get to have it. Uh, <laughs> The, you actually broke a little bit of news, I think, right here, because the conventional wisdom at this point in, in the states is is that that it's a good thing, and it, this is what happens in California, I would say, more than in Texas, that kids are playing water polo all year long and are not strapping on the goggles and being part of a swim program. But you're saying you're a, a successful Division One coach. You're looking maybe for kids who are doing both, but at least they have to have some sw- swimming skills. That's but you right. like the swimmers. A standard. And, okay. and what we do know, um, you know, I, I have a club. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's now L.A. Water Polo. And, you know, I've, I I would rather a kid who's eight, eight and eight and under, ten and under, even all the way to twelve and under. I want them playing basketball, baseball, yeah, soccer. No doubt. Because all of those are gonna help for whatever he or she chooses. What we also know, in two thousand twelve I started our original club Bruin um with uh Doctor Patrick Shunxiang and Michelle Shunxiang. They're um part owners of the Lakers. He's a renowned doctor that what they're doing is incredible things. And we synced up because they're very close with Curl and Joe. And we had a physical therapist coming up three days a week working with the kids, but we were also doing a study. <clears throat> and part of that study included them from a sports side for basketball because they had an investment with the Lakers, um, us from a sports side. And also they did stuff um, with volleyball, and we did it with water polo. You know, why why are kids or why are people when they arrive in the NBA damaged goods per se? Why are they breaking down? Why are they hurt? Look, it's no secret in water polo. It's knees, hips, elbows, shoulders, right? There's no secret. Um, What we know, for example, for volleyball, the tallest girl or the tallest guy, they're going to be the hitter, right? They're going to be the guy or the girl that's spiking all the balls. But have they been taught how to spike a ball? Are they just using their arms? Have they been taught how to use their legs, the core, and the arm follows the body? And what we know is, is a repetition of actions, right, creates a habit. And more times than not, the fundamental movements aren't being taught the right way. 
right? So a, a repetition of actions creates a bad habit. A bad habit, we know, creates an injury. After so long, you can only do repetitions for so much time before, at a certain point, there's going to be long-term effects, yeah. whether it's a kid coming into college with 17 tears in his shoulder. So what we really started to work on, what is the range of motion for hips? Obviously, there's body compositions that come into play. I know, for example, when you egg beater, if you don't have your foot open, you're putting pressure on your knee. The longer you do that, the more pressure on your knee, the more risk that you're going to have for injury. Selfishly as a coach, selfishly for the Lakers, selfishly for any coach, right? You you only have a chance to arrive at the team that you can ultimately be by having the team together. So if you have two and three people out all the time, here, one day, there, one day, how can you ultimately arrive and organically grow as a group? So, you know, for me, that was one of the special things in that period where we had a really good stretch at UCLA. All the credit in the world goes to the kids for being willing to change, to try something new, to understand that fundamentals really cut down injury because we don't have that success. Our injuries went down dramatically. You know, even, you know, soreness or swelling, all that stuff went away. And and for me, going back to the swimming water polo element, imagine why does a kid five nights a week at eight years old need to be training year-round, right. catching the ball? Right. Swimming is good. Stretch them out. Yeah. Or go run on a field. Yeah. And, and I think we get so blinded, right? I'm a parent, and I hope I don't do that, but we get so blinded on the objective. Oh, my God, my kid's going to be a water polo player and a full ride player. And it's like, yeah. hit the brakes. Yeah. Because basketball can help. Yeah. Swimming uh, can help. Well, for our sport, no doubt swimming can help. You want to have a swimming foundation. And, and and for me, I think that is something, in, in for sure, in California that's started to go away. And it's just yeah. year-round, five days a week water polo. And also, how about passion for these kids? They get burned out. Yeah, for sure. And you don't want to have kids lose passion. We don't want to lose kids to uh, for our sport to another sport because they're simply burned out. Yeah. All right, Adam, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Bruin to Bruin, I do appreciate it. And uh, we'll t I'm hoping that you'll talk with us again and we can talk a little bit about Texas Water Polo, but a lot more. Actually, just to end, your conversation with Steve Carrera was one of the best podcasts I've heard so far. That was so fascinating to hear. Well, funny as well about your travel agenda when you went overseas with uh, with Dan Layson. So uh, I do appreciate that. But we'll talk again, yes? Yes, and my hope is is uh, every year we can get out here, maybe get down to uh, Austin. Yes. Um, I truly believe, you know, this year we wanted to have a tournament out here. Unfortunately, there's some things that we have to work through before we can do that. But um, I, I, I believe uh, that Texas is really going to be a state that's going to be huge yeah. for the future generations of water polo, and especially depending on what happens with football. And I'm not saying it's going away or whatnot, but um, you have a lot of kids here that are really interested in it. You have great venues and you have great support. So thank you for what you're doing, and we hope to be back. So when the UT job opens, they discover that they need a Division One men's and women's water polo program. Are you putting your resume in? How, how does anybody not look at what <laughs> look at what they do there? That is a, that's no disrespect to anything at UCLA. We love what we have there, um, but what what a wonderful opportunity um, for the state. Now that it's a high school sport, yeah. what an incredible opportunity for every coach to to at least put their name into something like that because there's a real future uh, in the sport of water polo in Texas. All right, go have lunch. Thank you very much for your time. Yep. Thanks, buddy. My thanks to Adam Wright, UCLA head coach, for spending 30 minutes of his time talking with me in my car. 
We'll be back with more interviews, including Merrill Moses, Matt Farmer, and Maxwell Irving in the coming days. So make sure you're subscribed to the TX Waterpolo podcast for updates when those are published. Thank you for listening, for telling friends and family about our little show here, and for your generous gifts to the show. Until next time, so long from Austin. Production of TWP Sports LLC.